Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Wherever you are, this is the Interpreter's Workshop Podcast. I'm Tim Curry, your host. Here we talk everything sign language interpreting. The ins, the outs, the ups, the downs, the sideways of interpreting. If you're a student, a new interpreter, experienced interpreter, this is the place for you. If you want to know more, go to interpretersworkshop.com. Let's start talking interpreting. And now, the quote of the day by the Dalai Lama. Sometimes, one creates a dynamic impression by saying something. And sometimes, one creates as significant an impression by remaining silent. Our interpreting situations are dynamic. They are constantly changing and influencing the clients, influencing us, and influencing the interpretation, which influences the communication. Working through that every day keeps us on our toes, keeps us constantly learning, constantly evaluating ourselves and our work. Today, Philip Mahach from the Czech Republic continues his conversation with me, learning a little bit more of the journey that each of us take from new interpreter to more experienced interpreter. We talk about some of the working conditions in the Czech Republic, a little bit about ethics and the decisions we make, and what influences those. And we step into the big discussion about the interpreter's role. Let's get started. So talking more about the conditions of interpreting, mm -hmm. when you're interpreting in the community, how is the hearing point of view as far as their awareness of the deaf community or the deaf community's rights to use sign language or even their awareness of interpreters? What is it like from a Czech hearing standpoint? I'd say the awareness of of the thing that there are deaf people using sign language as their as their, as their first language <laughs> is is rising uh, the awareness is rising mm -hmm. slowly but but still mm -hmm. and i'd say it's connected to the uh, to the thing that uh, linguistics of sign languages is quite young in the czech republic so mm -hmm. so, so is the professionalization of interpreters and awareness of deaf uh, culture in general but mm -hmm. yeah i try to have the positive attitude and i think it's getting better yeah it's getting better and i see it every day in uh, my interpreting gigs where uh hearing people for example doctors um employers of offices and mm -hmm. the, the this kind of this kind of professions are more used to communication with with a deaf person mm -hmm. Uh, through written check, for example, but also through uh, yeah, through an interpreter, sign language interpreter, mm -hmm. and there are still some biases, I'd say, but uh, it's getting better. Mm -hmm. It's getting better. Uh, it usually it depends on the age of a person, because uh, for example, when it comes to doctors, there are some uh, hearing doctors and hearing maybe nurses uh, who were taught let's say the medical point of view of uh, mm -hmm. deafness so uh of, of being deaf so they're still having somewhere somewhere deep in their brains uh, these this kind of attitude but 
usually younger doctors are more open to another forms of communication and, and other needs of a deaf uh, or mm -hmm. a deaf person who is coming to their uh, office. It, I, I hope it's getting better in general. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you approach decision-making in your interpreting work? Mm -hmm. Practical decisions or ethical decisions, that sort of thing? Mm -hmm. Practical decisions, for example, when I'm offered a job, uh, an assignment, are, is that's something I think I kind of improved <laughs> <laughs> during the years I've been interpreting. Because as a uh, as a beginner, I always always accepted everything to to mm. have experience, and then then uh -huh. sometimes sometimes it was kind of tricky. For example, when I uh, when I accepted some uh, assignment that today when I when I were offered it, uh, I would probably ask for a colleague, maybe for a deaf interpreter in there, mm -hmm. or I would. I would just not accept it because it's too it's too tricky and I might hurt someone <laughs> hurt someone's needs. So mm -hmm. this is this is better now, I think. And I try always I always try to think if I have enough experience in some kind of situation or, or, or in this kind of situation to mm -hmm. be able to go there and to uh, to interpret for both sides, uh, both both hearing and deaf. Uh, yeah, both hearing and deaf. And Ethical decisions are, yeah, that's something I uh, still struggle with sometimes, I think, because mm -hmm. it's hard to prepare for it unless you're in the situation and you're experiencing it. Because, for mm -hmm. example, when I'm uh, interpreting as a part of a team of interpreters, but still interpreting, for example, for some therapies uh, at the psychiatrist or psychologist, mm -hmm. it's always very um it's always very like tightrope i'd say like mm -hmm. it, it, it's always always tricky and always dangerous should i should i step there should i step there should i uh go this way will it hurt mm -hmm. or will, will it destroy the maybe the goal of the of the psychiatrist mm -hmm. it's always tricky so in these kind of situations i'm i think i will be learning like all of all of my uh, all, all, <laughs> throughout my career i say yeah yeah is there something that has influenced you uh say in your training or your education uh or research or uh, other interpreter or mentor who has influenced how you now look at uh situations mm -hmm. well uh i think in general my colleagues have uh, the influence on me every day, mm -hmm. and I think it's uh, more more like a pro, yeah, more like a process. Mm -hmm. Because I was thinking about if there is somebody who has the strongest influence, probably it would be it would be my teacher from the university who led uh, who led the interpreting uh, specialization at my program. Mm -hmm. But as I began interpreting and uh, started to started to gather experience, I think everybody, everybody involved, not only my colleagues, but my clients as well, mm -hmm. mostly the clients I interpret for regularly uh, have the have the greatest influence, strongest influence on me and mm -hmm. on my maybe decision making as well and on me personally, uh, too. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, when it comes to research, so uh, my <laughs> my bachelor research was focused on interpreting between uh, B language and C language. Mm-hmm. And it's true that I'm not doing it now. I'm not interpreting between, for example, in, uh, spoken English and Czech sign language uh, mm-hmm. only okay, occasionally when the situation needs to. For example, I remember I remember the the assignment where. I was interpreting for Czech client, Czech dev client at, mm-hmm. at the doctor, but uh, the ambulance or the the office, the doctor's office was in the hospital where students of uh, students of medicine are going to observe. Let's say they are going mm-hmm. to observe the <laughs> the situations and the doctor's approaches uh, to patients, mm-hmm. and uh, directly in that kind of like situation where my client was visiting his doctor uh who yeah he was it was a regular visit Mm -hmm. but suddenly a group of foreign students came in and i was like i was like well what am i going to do if they're asked the client directly and Mm -hmm. and then i would then i was thinking okay philip you you know english a bit you you're mm-hmm. make it you make it just don't <laughs> stop it because it, it's interesting for everybody involved uh mm-hmm. for the doctor as well i expected the doctor to control the situation more than he actually did mm-hmm. but uh nevertheless it was it was uh <laughs> it was great experience and i think i managed mm-hmm. it but it's only one occasion uh, regularly i don't interpret daily uh between between two foreign languages Mm-hmm. but it always have been something that uh i was interested in because i would in i was interested in the process like if what happens in interpreter's mind where uh mm-hmm. he has to function he he or she have to has to function uh between two foreign languages mm-hmm. uh because it's very difficult and it's very yeah, it's very interesting for me. So maybe if mm-hmm. I if I were studying, <laughs> if I were continuing with my studies, I would focus more on that. Yeah, but yeah. it's it's not. Let's say it's not something that influences my daily work as an interpreter. But it's something that I would learn more about, uh, maybe throughout my 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 uh, future career. Hmm. Well, I would say that it did influence your your interpreting work in the fact that you understood what might be happening in that situation and it gave you confidence to say i do know english i can do this in the third language here uh so i think it was a positive influence for you yeah yeah maybe it was yes yeah that's my take on it anyway and i think it also give me some uh maybe some (laughs) strength to to accept uh assignments uh where deaf interpreters are involved and where mm-hmm. multiple languages are uh, involved mm-hmm. because actually for me it's the greatest experience from recent months or years where where uh for example deaf ukrainians are here in the czech republic and it's mm-hmm. something that's totally amazing the situations are mostly hard to manage mm-hmm. and sure. the communication the the topics are are hard for the clients and mm-hmm. for us as the interpreters as well but maybe my uh focus uh on on foreign languages uh or second third language mm-hmm. is something that helps me to stay calm uh in these situations and mm-hmm. to just let the situation go and and and, and uh, cooperate better with uh with my colleagues mm. 
there were new deaf interpreters who were not experienced interpreting, but they knew the languages involved. How did that influence your work as an interpreter when you realized you needed a deaf interpreter? But how did that experience make you see the profession differently when you're working with a new interpreter mm -hmm. and you're fairly new as well, but, but you have more experience interpreting? Mm -hmm. uh, you've had education on it, whereas these interpreters had little time to prepare for this. Mm -hmm. How did that experience go? It's true that the beginnings were like a total punk. <laughs> it was, it was uh, like uh, the March 222 was like, mm. like, like a boom, like, like uh, <laughs> out mm -hmm. of the blue, something that, uh, that happened uh, accidentally <laughs> a bit, maybe. <laughs> But uh, it's true that I realized more than ever that as a team, as a members of an interpreting team, we are influencing each other mm -hmm. every time every time and i have both the experiences working with a deaf interpreter who actually has some linguistics background because he's a student or he's been a student mm -hmm. of the studies program at the charles university so he knows something about the theory of interpreting the processes mm -hmm. and he also has the advantage of knowing uh, more sign languages than one mm -hmm. so it was one kind of experience where we were let's say on a similar level maybe mm -hmm. i obviously was the one who has more experience more interpreting experience but mm -hmm. i was cooperating with something or working with somebody who is is on a similar level of education as mm -hmm. i am and it was yeah kind of uh both uh, directions influence let's say maybe mm -hmm. but uh then i then i cooperated and interpreted in a team with interpreters who had no interpreting education, but mm -hmm. who had, for example, 15 years of experience using more than one sign language. So mm -hmm. they were language experts. I found them as a language experts in that kind of situation. And if they were okay with that, and we discussed it among colleagues, I tried to let's say, help them with the in, with the interpreting process itself. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that learned me the most, I think, because mm -hmm. next to me, there was somebody who I admired for his experience, for his, mm -hmm. for his knowledge. But uh, I also had something to, to share with him mm -hmm. or, or with him or her. So It's something that uh, learned me a lot uh, during the recent year. And I hope these, these interpreters or these deaf people who are actually working as interpreters mm -hmm. today will, uh, will stay with us, will, 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 yeah. will stay cooperating with us. Mm -hmm. Even if, for example, the Ukrainian refugees will go home someday, maybe some of them, mm -hmm. but it's still a, a valuable, they, they are still valuable members of uh, our interpreting team. And I mm -hmm. hope uh, we will be able to keep them. Yeah. Do you think that's influenced deaf Czechs who now want to also be interpreters? 
Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have any hard data for that, but I hope so. Yeah, I yeah. hope so. Because before this war, uh, before this uh, situation where where Ukrainian sign language interpreters were needed, mm-hmm. there were only a few deaf people who were actually interpreting, like mm-hmm. uh, in social settings, for example, where uh, they were interpreting for a person who has some other combined handicaps and uses only a different variation of sign language or for deaf children as well. Mm -hmm. So there were only a few. Uh, I don't know many of them. And I hope more, maybe more deaf uh, students, uh, university students will uh, be interested in interpreting because we need, we need them. We need more of them every day. And I hope you enjoy having more of these episodes. Click on the links in the show notes to support the show and cover some of the costs that it takes to make these episodes. I appreciate it. Now let's check back with Philip. So changing the focus a little bit, you mentioned about the process of interpreting and that sort of thing. Is there a particular process theory that you follow more or think about more, or do you mix them together? (laughs) Uh, Well, uh, I don't think I choose some actual process theory that I learned uh, at the university. I think uh, every day I try to <laughs> I try to mix my experience, mix, mix something that stayed in my memory and stayed in mm-hmm. my head or that I learned later uh, during my during my experience. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I I think sometimes I lack additional master's education because I know that I'm doing something, but it's sometimes it's hard for me to describe it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's yeah. the reason, uh, or or the reason is that I uh, when I when I got my bachelor's degree, I decided to go to the profession and to put maybe some other uh, education aside a bit. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes feel a lack. Uh, <laughs> I sometimes like this uh, this uh, instruments of describing some things, mm-hmm. theoretical things connected to interpreting. Mm. But, uh, for example, recently, something that I'm really interested in and I really like is the uh, process of changing the point of view of a role or of a role of interpreter. Mm-hmm. Because I'm uh, kind of, yeah, uh, I'm kind of young interpreter when it comes to uh, the years that <laughs> I've been interpreting. So actually, when I was studying at the university, the role of an interpreter or point of view of an interpreter as an ally to uh, to the deaf person and hearing person mm-hmm. was already there, was already taught in the Czech Republic, but only a little. Mm-hmm. And uh, recently I attended the course of <laughs> role-based model and I tried to learn something about that. I'd like to learn more about that because during my interpreting career, I always felt that when somebody says he overstepped uh, some some line, some some line between this role and that, it's something that's unnatural, and mm-hmm. I never liked it. But I didn't have the instrument of describing it, mm-hmm. and uh, the maybe some information that I didn't have to explain to myself that it might not be like that and mm-hmm. maybe that's the reason i i really like these uh this this role space model because every interpreting is individual situation 
uh, every every deaf person is an individual uh, with some needs, some problems, uh, some qualities, and so these situations are so to say that now I'm okay and I'm, I'm just the interpreter, not just, I, I'm, I'm the interpreter, I'm the part of the situation. I, I've always been mm-hmm. the part of the situation, mm-hmm. but it's always been hard for me to maybe to explain myself, to explain my position to somebody who asked, mm-hmm. either in the situation itself or outside, outside the interpreting assignment. But uh, when I'm talking to my friends or to, to my colleagues, it's always been hard to explain myself, my my role, yeah, my role, my position. Mm-hmm. What am I actually doing when I am interpreting? And I think uh, the role model or the role space model is something that would help me in the future to share better my point of view and my attitude to interpreting in general. Yeah, yeah, the role space model of uh, Robert G. Lee and Peter Llewellyn Jones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they they do a good job of describing how our role as an interpreter is dynamically within the situation. It's dynamically changing, mm-hmm. dynamically changing. Hmm, that's not redundant. <laughs> no, not at all. Anyway, it's constantly changing. It is. And we can see it, what we're doing in the role space. And it it's not pinpointing or labeling us except as interpreter. And I think that's that's a lovely way of looking at it. Yeah, I like I like the way of or the point of view that I am the interpreter, mm-hmm. and there aren't other words of describing my profession or my uh, my yeah my my profession in one word. I'm I'm an interpreter. So mm-hmm. let's let's learn something about that. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 good. Uh, I really like the model. I really like the attitude it has. Mm-hmm. And I hope more interpreters will learn about it and me personally as well, because I only learned something, some basic info, and uh, I try to uh, maybe dive in more. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully we'll have something like that expansion of that here in the Czech Republic soon. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. So much to talk about. Well, A lot of what Philip told us sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds very familiar. Many of the people in our society still have a medical point of view when it comes to the deaf community interpreting. And the point Philip made was that the younger the people we meet are, they tend to have more of an open mind about different modes of communication, different languages perhaps even different culture, within the society's culture. Why is that? Could it be education? Could it be that the younger generation has more access to new ideas, new communication, new languages? If it's education, then why aren't the medical professionals taught these new open ideas about the deaf community and and about sign language and about awareness of the minorities' rights. Some things to think about. I would say that part of the education has to be from the community itself and from the profession of interpreting. We have professional organizations that can speak for us and make the public aware of what we do and why we do what we do to do. do de do do But each of us as individuals can also help with that awareness. Those little 
statements that we say, when we explain who we are, or when we introduce ourselves, when someone asks a question directly to us, we can take that opportunity to give a short response that helps educate and helps promote awareness. Remember I said short, not a long, drawn-out speech like I'm giving now. Anyway, another point that Philip brought up is, well, we've all been there. When you're new at something, you sometimes are very eager to get involved, to get working, to get your hands dirty in the profession or in that hobby. And so you do as much as you can, when you can, But as an interpreter, we know, and as Philip realized quite quickly, sometimes accepting every job is not the best for ourselves nor for our clients. Yes, the more we do, the more experience we accumulate, the more tools we can put in our belt to help us in the next interpreting assignment. But I suggest that if you need more experience in a scenario or a field that you have not interpreted before, shadow someone, which means go with a more experienced interpreter in that situation and learn from them. Work with them as a team to gain the experience that you need rather than learning from yourself in that situation. Let me go a step further. If for some reason you cannot get paid for teaming in that situation, I would suggest volunteering for that job. In other words, invest in yourself, teaching yourself, training yourself by taking that step to learn from a colleague. This is how we support one another. This is how we should teach one another, strengthen each other and the profession because we all have the same goal. We are learning from our clients, yes, we are learning from other colleagues, and therefore everyone is benefiting to achieve the same goal. As Philip said, he learned from teaming with deaf interpreters, those who were experienced as an interpreter and those that were not. He gained knowledge from each of those, whether it was something more about linguistics, something more about how to handle a different culture, and they learned from him on how to work as a professional interpreter. It was a wonderfully dynamic situation, and I think all teaming should be that, working together for the same goal and improving the interpretation for everyone. And as we are gaining this experience, as we are training ourselves and training others, we are learning how to discuss our profession, to discuss what we do and how we do it. New terminology can be shared through colleagues, through trainings, through workshops, and more. This is what gives a foundation to our profession. The fact that we can discuss what we are doing in a clear way to each other and to our clients and to the public. So, keep calm. Keep dynamically interpreting. I'll see you next week. Take care now.